listening to another episode of Diary of a New Grad Speechy. We are the go-to podcast for students and new grad speechies who know a little about a lot, giving you our unprofessional but professional advice that you didn't know you needed. Hello and welcome to another episode. I'm Ash. And I'm Cass. Today on the podcast, we have an exciting guest, our dear friend Jess. So this episode is going to be good for anyone who is considering mobile work or if you're considering starting your own practice. Little disclaimer, if you are considering going out on your own, Speech Pathology Australia has a few documents and resources, as well as guidelines to help with your decision and transition into working for yourself. Yes, so we definitely recommend heading onto the Speech Pathology Australia website to check out those documents. So Jess has achieved a lot in her career thus far working as a speechy. She has worked in a few roles, she's been head of the speech pathology department, and she is now her own boss. So exciting. So in this episode, Jess talks about her role being a mobile speech therapist as a new grad, as well as what was involved with starting her own practice. We really enjoyed talking with Jess today and we hope that you love it. So here's Jess. Welcome to Diary of a New Grad Speechy. We feel so grateful that you have come on our podcast today. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome Jess. We're so excited to talk to you today. With all of our guests, we want to know their craziest client story. So this can either be funny, good, bad or awkward. So do you have a crazy story to tell us? There's quite a few, but I think the one that stands out the most is when I was working with both paediatrics and adult clients. There was a particular client that I saw who had multiple diagnoses, but she also had schizophrenia. And um, this one session, she was looking in different directions and talking and waving to someone who wasn't there uh, and then she turned around and I got a really big slap to the face so oh. I think that's my craziest client story that will oh stick God. with me for a really long time yeah um, and it was just a crazy session because it took a really long time for it to sink in about what had happened and it was a decent slap um, and I've never been slapped before so um, <laughs> caught me off guard and I just kept going I didn't know what to do and then I looked down and she was squeezing my arm really tight and then I think I just got really overwhelmed and a little bit upset and called out to the house managers um because she was in assisted living and um I just remember not much else from the session but I was sitting in the office and they gave me an apple juice popper (laughs) (laughs) anything will make me feel better it'll be an apple juice popper I don't even think I wanted it. They just gave it to her and I just took it. And I was like, yep, okay. So she was an adult client? She was, yeah. So she was in her 60s. So, yeah, it was um, a very, very interesting day. Holy, that would have been so traumatic as well. Like, I'm sure after that you were like, I'm never going back to that house again. (laughs) No, I went back, which um, a behaviour support plan was in place after that, which was good. Um, That's good. a good learning curve. I don't know why there wasn't one in place to start off with. But yeah, no, I definitely learnt different cues to look out for as well. We always talk about with children how to 
observe them for if they're feeling frustrated and overwhelmed and all of that stuff. But then it's a bit, it would be a lot trickier with adult clients and especially adult clients that have a disability or, you know, a mental health diagnosis, knowing out those signs. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's already complex in itself, but then also knowing things that we should have in a session like a support worker present um I'd been left by myself with her so yeah Mm. lots of little things unfortunately like it sucks that you had to go through that for that behavior plan to be in place or that support to be there in your future sessions like sometimes it that does have to happen for changes to be made which is really sucks sometimes yeah it's good in a way though with that learning curve that now, if oh, I don't work with adults anymore, but if I was to go in, it's good because now I know, you know, we need someone to sit with us. And sometimes you have to be a little bit more firm because they'll say, oh, I'm just going to, you know, run and do something in another part of the house. But if you know that there is behaviours in place, that's when we have to say, no, no, just for the session, we need someone present. So, yeah. Mm. I don't know what I would do if I got slapped by an adult. I have no idea. (laughs) Absolutely no idea. I think you handled that very well though, Jess. And if someone was to get slapped and act appropriately, I feel like it would be you. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about your early career as a speechy. Tell us where did you work? What kind of work did you do? And what did your caseload look like? Yeah, so my first role out of uni, I was a mobile speech pathologist working across regional communities um, in southwest Queensland. So I would travel out to Toowoomba and Gundawindi and all of the towns in between and out to Warwick, Stanthorpe and Kingaroy as well. Um, I was seeing predominantly paediatric clients with an occasional adult client. Um, Most of the time I was by myself, but occasionally I'd have a multi-disc team travel with me, which was always a really good time, um, having a psychologist or an OT come along with me. Um, I worked with a range of different clientele as well. So I had my NDIS clients that I saw in homes um, and at schools. Then I also did one day a week out of a medical centre, worked out of a school in one of the communities supporting the uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students and also their teachers. So, yeah, it was a really broad range of clientele, but it was great because I learned a lot in that position. Yeah, that's awesome. And when you're rattling off all those places, I'm like shaking my head going, that is just a huge scope of like area to cover for clients, um, especially for your first job as well. But I think, again, you looked at it from the perspective of a great learning opportunity, which I think you need in those first few years. Yeah, I definitely learned about a lot of places I didn't know existed, (laughs) not being from this area as well. Yeah, it was a nice way to see this part of Queensland, this part of Australia, but it was, yeah, really interesting seeing the different personalities as you go out there too. Everyone's so warm and friendly. How much driving would you do a week? A lot. So I was based in Brisbane and I would drive to Gundawindi once a week and then I'd have my other trips that are thrown in around I'd always spend two nights out there but yeah it was a lot and was probably the reason why I didn't stay in that job for very long was just the travel time compared to client contact hours was a little bit thrown out um I think having someone with me would have made it 
a lot easier, but doing all of those kilometers by myself was, it was a lot. I got very good at staying awake while driving. (laughs) (laughs) Which we know can be um, a little bit tricky for you in terms of staying awake. (laughs) For anyone listening at home, uh, Cassie and I both actually went to uni with Jasana. So Jasana went to uni up north for the first year and then she came down to the Gold Coast and finished uni with me. So that's how we know that Jess has a bit of difficulty staying awake. <laughs> I just remember looking over to you in lectures and I'd be like, oh, what did you think of that? And you'd just be fast asleep. Fast asleep. Like, <laughs> and, you know, it's so funny because I don't remember falling asleep in that first year, but I definitely remember falling asleep in other lectures. <laughs> I have a few photos of me, but... um. Do you know, it's done a big full circle because now with the area I work in, I'm learning all about sleep disorder breathing and I'm realising I had exactly that. <laughs> and so that's why I spent majority of my lectures asleep. I'm surprised I made it this far. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. So you said that you didn't stay long in your first role. So what? where did you go to after that? Yeah, so I was in that role for six months. Um, I wish I'd stayed a little bit longer looking back, but I think at the time I was experiencing a little bit of burnout, so was craving something a little bit more steady. And so I came back to Brisbane and worked in another mobile role um, in a very big multidisciplinary team. And that was very similar to what I was doing out west, but it was just in our metro areas, again, covering a really large distance. So from Brisbane City all the way up to the Sunshine Coast so and out to Ipswich as well. So it was nice that once we got a few more speech pathologists on board, um, myself and another girl were the first speech pathologists to be employed. So we had to cover a large area yeah yeah, but once we got more speech pathologists on board my zone just sort of slowly shrunk down to a more manageable size so yeah and in that role I think the biggest change was I started to work with a lot of adults which was new to me so in your first role out of uni how did you find that transition from going from graduating and then going into your first new grad position. And it, as I could imagine, you said that you were just traveling so much and it would have be such a different role compared to the typical speechy role, you know, just in a clinic. So how did you find that transition? I found it a little bit daunting, but I was also really excited. Um, I loved my first role because I learned so much in such a short amount of time and being mobile and traveling to all the communities by myself was very autonomous and I learnt a lot of skills that I think have helped me now, sort of like problem solving and those networking skills. I found that it was easiest working when I had a little bit more autonomy um, and I also loved that I got to talk to a wide range of people and then make connections in different communities. Working in a multidisciplinary team was good. But I think, yeah, like you said, the hardest part was being by myself and not having that team around me so I think as a new graduate that was really tricky having to think a lot on the spot and work things out myself Um, I did have supervision in place but not having them available just to duck around into the next room or ask something was really difficult especially in areas where you don't have any signal you can't rely on internet or anything so I think that would be really challenging with mobile speech pathologists because I just find that after a session 
I'll go into the next room when I'm at the clinic and be like, oh my goodness. And I would just be like, that was so hard. And you're like, yeah, I heard that. That sound, sounded really tricky or something. And it just that immediate kind of feedback, you were like, okay, oh, I feel better now. <laughs> but yeah, if you were out there with no service, you're literally just sitting in the car with your thoughts. <laughs> yeah. And I think it was one of those roles that I loved, but I did crave that team mm. and having that support so close. And such a unique experience as well, Jess. Like I'm sure not a lot of people would ever probably explore that side of speech pathology. So I think in some ways or another, it's probably, like you said, shaped the speechy that you are today and the things that you value and the things that you've learned. So what are you doing now that you've moved on from those roles? Yeah, um, so I now have a business of my own. Um, I am a mobile clinic. And I work with paediatric clients from 18 months to 12 years. I predominantly focus on speech, early language, feeding and oropatial myology. Um, So I work four days with my own business and then I also do one day a week out of a dental clinic doing my oropatial myology work. So yeah, it's nice. I've been able to go into an area that I am passionate about and learn a lot more about. So it's opened up a lot of opportunities for me, which has been nice. Sure. And I guess you can be more selective with the type of clients that you want to see. Yeah, definitely. And that's what I think is really important when you do that is that you are choosing an area that you are comfortable with and that you want to specialize a little bit more in um, Mm -hmm. so that you're providing good services and then the people who see other areas you can refer on to them. So what does your typical day look like if you think about when you're in your own business and then if you could tell us a little bit more about when you work one day a week at the dentistry clinic? I suppose my day is still very similar to how it was when I was working for an organisation just with a few more little bits added in. So I typically start my day just checking my emails and packing the car. Because I'm mobile, I schedule my morning clients fairly close together so that I can go out and do a morning session. And then I come home for lunch and catch up on work. And then I go out for my afternoon clients. At the end of the day, I come back and I try to make sure all my notes are done uh, (laughs) and then pack the car for the next day. Of course, every day is different. I get to choose when I schedule clients so some days I might start later or finish earlier there's always the new things thrown in like bookkeeping and marketing your admin work there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes um, but it's it's worth it Fridays I go to the dental clinic which is nice because I get to go in and I have my clinical space Um, all my clients have been worked out for me and yeah it all ties in to their speech pathology goals anyway. So typically it's my own clients coming in to see me for that area separately to say the words that we've been working on for speech. Um, They'll come in, do their exercises at the dental clinic and we have a really good referral network there. So yeah. That sounds amazing. And I think it's nice that you get to break up, like you're still obviously doing clinical work, but you get to break up like traditional speech stuff with Um, and more of like a specialist area as well and something I think that's still really like I definitely don't know a lot about that area and it's something I think that as speeches as a whole we could probably do a lot more to find out about that area and know who to refer to you know people like yourself 
Yeah, and I think orofacial myology specifically was a huge gap in our degrees and I encourage anyone who is interested in the area just to have a look, have a look at some introduction courses that are out there, have a bit more research. Um, there was a little bit of controversy around it a few years ago, but there's such great research out there showing pros behind it. And I think so much of it underlies all of our clients have underlying orofacial myology disorders. And yeah, it's something that we're just not taught what to look out for. Yeah, it's definitely an area that both Cassie and I need to like learn a bit more about because we've got no idea (laughs) but anyway um Jess now that you've opened your own practice do you receive any mentoring I do yeah and I think that's really important that you get supervision or mentoring uh I get it clinically so I pay someone to supervise me Uh, and I think no matter how many years you've been out having a mentor whether it's for business purposes or Um, for clinical supervision it's really important just to have someone especially if you're starting off by yourself just to unpack different cases uh, and just get some advice or feedback as well. And so did you find that mentoring through Speech Pathology Australia or were you in contact with someone that you knew beforehand? No so I actually found my supervisor through word of mouth. Uh, A friend of mine was already receiving supervision and she just happened to be providing support in an area that I was looking at. So she looks at a lot of our orofacial myology, feeding and speech. So yeah, it was great that I was able to connect in with her. Um, She is on Speech Pathology Australia. So I definitely recommend hopping on there and just looking at the areas that you want specific clinical focus in. I think it's really important that we can recognize the importance of mentoring like although you know you're your own boss technically and I think for some people that can be can be easy to fall into that like rabbit hole of just like you're specializing in an area like you must know a lot about that kind of stuff how often do you receive that mentoring I receive that mentoring every fortnight um so once a fortnight for an hour but I've also been receiving a lot of just casual mentoring through the dental clinic as well so I suppose um, my paid supervision is once a fortnight but I get a lot of support from other professionals around me. I think it's really important Jess that you touched on how important mentoring and supervision is because I think sometimes and I don't know how common this is but maybe you know if you were to go down the pathway of opening your own practice and specialize in areas that you enjoy and have a lot of experience in it probably can be easy to become complacent with your skills in that area and you actually do have to be seeking that support externally whereas working for an organization it's just provided to you so I think it's important and um, really good that you touched on the importance of that. What made you want to open your own practice to begin with? Um, At the time I was working for a large organization that was growing quite fast and I just found that we didn't have the same values anymore. Thinking about starting my own business was really exciting because then I could provide the services to my clients that I wanted them to receive. I got to choose how many times I saw them, who I wanted to see in terms of um, the scope of practice. I could refer on clients if needed. They were getting that small business aspect, which I think a lot of my clients were craving. Opening my own practice was something that I had been wanting to do for quite a while and I just felt it was the right time. You're so brave. 
to open your own practice? Oh, thank you. (laughs) It was very nerve wracking. I just admire people who that can start their own business because I feel like that's such a big leap to take, not only, you know, going out on your own and then having to seek out your own mentoring and all of that stuff, but all of the little business things that you wouldn't actually know that you needed to do. So I can imagine it would be such a big job, but can you just tell us for anyone that's listening who was or is currently thinking about maybe branching out on their own, what is involved with opening your own practice? Yeah, um, I suppose chatting to as many people as you can who have done the same thing. So chatting to other professionals, friends, family, um, no matter what business they've been opening, they will all be able to give you really great advice. Um, I think what helped me a lot was also going onto Speech Pathology Australia's private practice area. They have some documents that really outline exactly what you need to do. And they have some good questions asking you to sort of ponder on whether you're ready for a private practice. Uh, And that definitely helped pave the way and set achievable goals for me to get to the point of opening. First of all, I suppose you also have to look at a name. So, Which would probably be the hardest part. Yeah, there was a few that I wrote down. Uh, I recommend writing down as many names as you like, leaving it for a few days and then coming back to it and then just chatting to everyone and getting opinions on them. At the end of the day, it comes down to what you like, but getting feedback from other people was really helpful for me and made me feel confident in the choice that I made. Then I suppose looking at you know your logistics such as what population you're going to work with, where you want to work. Do you want to be mobile? Do you want to be clinic-based? Do you want to do both? Focusing on an area that you want to see in the scope of practice. Being, I think starting your own business and being very generalised is difficult because you are relying on your own knowledge and it's a lot of extra work behind the scenes. So being able to focus on one area makes it a lot easier yeah Um, and I guess at the moment because speech is such a sought after profession at the moment and everyone's got a wait list if you were just a generalist going out on your own it would be so fast just to fill up and then you know especially with clients with the NDIS usually they're quite longer term clients then next minute you're filled up with NDIS clients that never move (laughs) off your caseload that's right and not falling into that trap of just taking whoever comes along being able be being confident in referring on clients so that they're getting the best services possible and not feeling scared that there's not going to be an income straight away because take it slow you will definitely get the clientele with the demand for speech pathology at the moment and I think taking it slow and steady is definitely needed when you're starting off by yourself because you're just learning about so much behind the scenes as was as well as clinically. I think the other big thing that I had to look into was the legal side of things. So looking at my current contract and seeing what I could do uh, in the area that I was working in and what clients I could see. Um, so I definitely recommend just getting some advice in that area. Just writing down a vision that you want 
to see in your business and then creating achievable goals from there. Yeah, I think once you tick off all those little goals, suddenly you realise you're a lot further along than you realised. Another big part of what I started before I'd even started my business was just starting to develop documents such as service agreements, privacy consent forms, um, looking at logo designs, getting a website built. Um, I definitely recommend getting your website built for you, worth every cent. Um, It just gives you so much more of a professional look. It's the little things, hey, that you don't really think about and at the end of the day when, you know, as a consumer or a customer like us, we would naturally, I know I would anyway, go online and search up the business and you can always get a feel for the kind of business based on their social media or their website. And I think like you said, it's worth every cent, but something that maybe not all of us would think of going down the business pathway. Like a website seems like such a small thing, but at the end of the day, it's actually a pretty big thing. Yeah, and I just stood back and realised that I'm the type of person that I don't mean to, but I definitely judge a business by its cover. And so if I hop on a website and it doesn't look very professional, I'm probably going to move on to the next business that I see. So, yeah, that was a really important aspect for me. If I'm trying to look up any business, I'm going to give an example here. My, um, My real estate agent gave me a business card for people for this company that paint like kitchens and all of that because I want to get my kitchen repainted I tried to search up their website they don't have a website they only have a Facebook page and I'm like seriously considering not going to them because for one it freaks me out that I have to call them and I don't even know what their website looks like for two it's 2021 who doesn't have a website these days I got some good advice from a friend as well that Social media is a big part of what people look at these days. So having Facebook and Instagram is exciting, but just stick to one. So choose Instagram or Facebook and just really put the effort into one rather than having a little bit on both. So, yeah, there's lots of little things to think about, but I definitely think just chatting to as many people as you can and getting lots of advice. Yeah, so exciting. I think your socials and your website and all of your graphics look really good. So thank you. Yeah, and you gave some really nice tips as well for anyone that is considering it. And it's nice to know that Speech Pathology Australia has like a handout. And I like those pondering questions that they have. That would be really good. All right, so let's take it back a little bit. And we want to know, is there anything that you wish you knew as a new grad? Yeah, I wish I knew that I could say no and I also wish I knew how or I felt more comfortable asking for change. I think as a new grad you want to take on every opportunity that's given to you and you might be afraid to say no in case it has an impact on your role but I think it's really important to know that that's something that you need to be comfortable with. so that you enjoy the job that you're in and also you avoid burnout as well. So, yeah, definitely it's something that comes with experience and growth, but just I wish I knew that it was okay to say no. Quite a common theme in the speechy world. Like I, a lot of people that we speak to, we say, what's one thing you wish you knew? A lot of people always say that speaking up is something that we wish that we had the confidence to do. And so I think 
that tells us a lot about maybe who we are as people but also what we think the demands of the role is which is something that probably needs to change further down the track what would you say your biggest learning experience has been so far in your career I think I have two things that have been my biggest experience number one is make connections Um, all health professionals are typically incredibly generous with their time and their knowledge we're in such a small world really like with our health professionals we always have a mutual connection with someone and if not you build professional networks so easily and then you always have great referral sources so I think that's been one really great learning experience is to always take the time to make those connections also the second learning experience has been learning again not to be afraid to let someone know if you need help so don't be afraid to let them know if you don't understand you only learn by asking so definitely asking questions I think as a new grad especially I always felt a little bit silly asking questions and so I held back whereas now if I'm not sure I definitely ask because we're always learning and whether we've forgotten something or we're just generally not sure we learn so quickly just by asking. So true and that definitely comes with I think increased confidence in our own abilities and also that experience. You gave us and also our listeners so many great tips and advice but we've got one last question for you so can you give us one one piece of advice one word of advice you wish you had when you were entering your new grad role or one thing that you wish you knew when you were considering opening your own practice I can do a little bit of both if you like okay (laughs) give it (laughs) Uh, so one piece of advice I wish I had entering a new grad role is ensuring that you have adequate clinical supervision. It might seem obvious, but I feel like both of my new grad roles, I didn't have adequate support. So yeah, I think that's a really big one. Important tip. Yeah. Yeah. Starting a business. The best piece of advice I can pass on is something that I read when I was still tossing up whether I wanted to open a business or not. Uh, it came up on Instagram and all it said was, reminder, you will never be 100% ready. And I sort of knew at that moment, I went, okay, if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? And yeah, and I think that's when I made the right step in my career. And I think it's important to pass on the advice that I was given when I was starting out, which was to choose an area and stick to it. Being confident and yet referring on the different cases to other people, because if you want to specialise, say, in speech there will probably be someone who specialises in fluency. And so being able to refer on to them and then everyone can see their different specialised areas. Yeah, really good advice there, Jess. Can I ask, Hmm. that quote that you read on Instagram, was that just from like an Instagram page that was, you know, those quote Instagram accounts? It was someone who has a business in Brisbane and she might have reposted it. But it was, you know, on your phone, the little reminder icon popped up. Yeah. It was that and it just had underneath, you'll never be 100% ready. Okay. And I was, it was just on my feed. Why is that? Oh, because I um, sometimes follow those quote pages and I was like, I was just thinking it would have been so, not funny, but so great that, you know, Instagram 
made your decision to start your business, you're like, yep, from that Instagram quote, I'm starting a business. But actually it probably was. Because <laughs> I always follow ones and it's like, you know, girl boss ones like, um, she'll take over the world and you know, just all those. Oh, Instagram was my calling. (laughs) Thanks so much, Jess, for coming on and talking to us today. It's been so nice knowing your roles that you've had working as a speech pathologist and it's been roles that, you know, not many of us would experience. So it's really interesting knowing that side and then also giving us so many great tips, especially for our listeners if they are considering, you know, opening their own business or doing mobile work. So thank you so much. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode. If you'd like to stay up to date with us, then please give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook at Diary of a New Grad Speechy. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review below. Thanks so much. See you next week.